May I just reemphasize what my brother said earlier. It is so good to have you back, my friend. Glad you're well. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're healthy. It's good to see your lovely bride and family this morning. So praise God. We are really encouraged. And, and I should also mention, I'm going to embarrass them, but Pat and Jean, I, we, we've, we're slowly getting folks back here who we haven't seen in a long time. And it is such a sweet privilege to see you all with Esther, just to, to see you all here this morning. So we're just grateful for you. Um, just so good to see your faces as we gather for worship. Back in January, the, uh, the, the elder team presented um, to the church family, a school proposal, namely to rent space in our building to a full-time five-day-a-week program for children in kindergarten through ninth grade. And we knew it was an idea that had both strengths and challenges. One of its great strengths is that the school relies on people that, that God has blessed us with here at Grace who are very effective, godly servants, especially in the ministry of teaching children, but that strength also presented the challenge since one of our elders was one of those people who was intrinsic to the infrastructure and, and the family of two other elders also tied into the school's basic infrastructure. And so one of the things, as you know, we did early on is three of the eight members of our elder team stepped back from the discussions of the school, recused themselves to use the, the meeting sort of language right at the beginning of this discussion. The other five elders continued to discuss, continued to take valuable input from our, our church family to, to receive your wisdom and your thoughts and your questions. The response was overwhelmingly positive with people eager to see this become an active part of, of life here in this building to see this kind of ministry take place here. There were also concerns that largely fell in two areas and, and I'll just frame them in terms of, of two questions. The one is how would Grace's elder team charged with, with shepherding the, the flock here, first and foremost, how would that team oversee Lagos Classical Academies? And especially since the, the plan was for it to be an autonomous ministry renting space. And so how, how would that work? How would the elders exercise some degree of oversight? And then the second question is with three elders recused, how would the elder team mitigate against any perceived conflict of interest? How would they make up for the lack of, of having three elders engaged in those discussions? And those were things we were just wrestling with and thinking about. And after a lot of prayer and discussion, the, the five elders who had been gathering feedback from people and praying about this and talking about this agreed that we all shared a mutual desire to, to change course. And that is instead of an autonomous school renting space in our building, we were becoming convinced that this presented an excellent opportunity to have the school become a full-fledged ministry of Grace Bible Church. And over time, we met with the other elders, so the full team of eight came together, unanimously agreed to pursue this direction, reached out to the directors of the school of Lagos and, and began to have those conversations. And today, we are just really excited to announce that after about four weeks of those conversations, we are unanimously, uh, the, the elder team has unanimously decided, and we have both sides agree that it would not just be a good option, but it is the opportunity that is ripe and there for us to begin educating children in a full-fledged ministry of Grace Bible Church. Uh, we are excited about this, and it is something that we are looking to begin this fall. Um, there, are, there are still details to be worked out. There's still stuff that has to happen before a 
a bunch of kids and teachers are in, in this building five days a week, uh, come sometime in August. Um, we'll have at least a summary of, of some of the things that I'm mentioning this morning up on the website later today. And as we did in January, the elder team is setting aside 30 days to, to get feedback from covenant members about this important decision, essentially the month of, of March. Um, we'll also have another congregational meeting on the evening of March 14th. Again, just to try to answer questions and just to, to gain feedback and, and to communicate well about this. But I, I need to say, on behalf of the elder team, just want to reemphasize that the, the reason that we put these things out and, and ask for feedback is because it, it helps to helps clarify our thinking, helps us to think better about it, helps us to make what we think are better decisions in, in the long run, helps us in seeking God's leading in all of this. And, and that feedback has been constructive and helpful and wise. And I believe, I, I speak for the elder team here, I, I think we all agree it has brought us to the best outcome. And, and we are excited about it. And so thank you for all of your input. We also realize that this is not a step to be taken lightly. We're, we're asking for your prayerful support as we move toward a five-day-a-week ministry coming into this, this building to, to educate children. And, and because of the magnitude of that decision, I want, I want to take some time this morning. We'll take a break from Acts, pick back up next week in, in Acts chapter 20 and, and, and Paul's message to the Ephesian elders. But for this morning, I just want us to, to see how Scripture speaks to this and, and just some, some biblical principles from Scripture that I, I think ultimately get us to the why question, and the why question being why. Why, why do this? Why um, have a, a particular philosophy of education that comes as a ministry now of Grace Bible Church? And I want to get to that, but I, I think the biblical principles help stand up the answer to that in the end. First one is this. Biblical mandate is clear, that education of children primarily rests with parents, that it is parents who are mandated to teach their children. We know that parents do that naturally as a part of life, that parents teach children by precept, by explaining things, by directing, by rules, by correction, and also by virtue of their example, by modeling certain things, by the way that they live, um, the way that they act. As parents, we model things both good and bad. And there's a long, long list of things that, that parents teach children all the way from how to tie their shoes and wash their hands to, to not eating candy for breakfast, um, all the way up to how, to how to gain wisdom and skills, learning skills to help you manage and be disciplined in the world and to, to function well. And by our example, we, we teach all sorts of things by our words and actions when we are under stress when we are in the midst of adversity, when we are facing trials, by how we communicate with other people, we are, we are demonstrating ways of interacting and we are teaching. By how we live out our life as believers in Jesus Christ, we are giving profound lessons. The list just goes on and on. The Bible says a lot about teaching children. I think one of the first points is back in Genesis chapter 18, when God speaks of Abraham and he says in Genesis 18, 19, I have chosen Abraham that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. The, the call on Abraham to command his children in these ways of God, particularly God's righteousness and justice, 
That verb command, that's not an overstatement, it's not an overtranslation. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 2 when God commands Adam, you may not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it's a very direct, very strong command. And this is what, what God is setting before Abraham. It, it, what's interesting is the context, if you look at it in Genesis 18, is God is, is speaking forth his sovereign plan for the destruction of Sodom. An, an act that might seem barbaric to anyone who does not understand God's righteousness and justice. When you see it in that context, you understand why it was so critical for Abraham, who is a man who we, we know for his faith in God and who's the head of this household, why it's so important for him to teach his family about the righteousness and justice of a holy God. He, he is helping his household to understand that God's impending destruction of Sodom was not some irrational or capricious act, but rather was perfectly consistent with the God who created the universe and who in righteousness and justice established a standard of right and wrong and who decreed that there would be punishment for those who disobeyed him. And, and so it is perfectly consistent and it is up to now Abraham to communicate these truths about God and what is right and wrong in communicating God's righteousness. In, in Exodus chapter 12, this is where God is delivering the, the children of Israel from the, the Hebrews from out of slavery in Egypt. And you remember that the means by which he does this is the, the Passover, the, the blood of the lamb that is slaughtered and is put on the doorposts around the front of the house. And it is the sign that that house will be passed over, will not experience the judgment of God against the firstborn. And, and, and he delivers them through that, but also establishes in the process the celebration of Passover, the annual remembrance of how God rescued his people. And in Exodus 12, verse 26, he says, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Why, why are we doing this Passover service? You shall say... It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. You must teach your children that God redeems, that God delivers. They must be reminded every year through this celebration that this is not just some formality, not just some holiday, not just some day off of school or whatever you want to make this. This is a solemn occasion in which we are reminded that God saves, that he rescues, and he did so through the blood of the lamb that would foreshadow the coming of the, the true lamb of God. You must teach them these things. If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, the, the word Deuteronomy means second law, and it's essentially Moses' um, recitation again of the law that he's given, that God has given through him, and that he has given to the people. And now he is basically going to, in summary form in Deuteronomy, explain, here is what God calls us to do. Here is what obedience looks like. Here is who God is and what his law is. And the book of Deuteronomy begins the third verse as Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. So, so this is Moses bringing the commandments to the people and he explains to them what they're to do with them. So Deuteronomy 4 verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and, and do them, that you may live 
and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you, you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Drop down to verse 6. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And then verse 9, Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the peoples to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. God says to his people through Moses, you are to know these commandments. That means you've got to read them and meditate on them. You are not to add to them or take away from them. We are to honor God by taking his word at face value as what it is, the word of God. You must obey them. He says, keep them. That by doing so, he even makes the point that by doing so, you would be a testimony of God's glory to the nations around you. Your, your keeping of these commands will display God's glory to others. And then he says there, as we read at the end, you must teach them. You must teach these commandments to your children and your grandchildren. We are a forgetful people. We know that. We have to remind ourselves of things. We have to read instructions over and over again. I have a simple activity that I do on Saturday night or Sunday morning where I post the sermon notes to the website. And, and, and Stuart had given me the directions, the little step-by-step -step sequence that I do. And I should know this by now. And I still go back and I bring it up and I follow through and push that button and then do that button and then follow that step. And voila, it actually makes it up on the website most of the time. But that's because we are a forgetful people. And, and, and that's what God is speaking to when he says you must teach them. You as parents, you are required to speak these things. You must recite them and repeat them and recall them. Tell them who I am and what I have done and how I have delivered you and the law that I have given to you. You and I cannot bend our child's heart to obey, but we are required by God to make known his ways so that they understand what it is to obey so that they can respond to him and know him. Deuteronomy 6-7 explains if there's a method to this. It, it, it's pretty simple here. You shall teach them, that is, you shall teach God's commands, diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The, the, the summary statement there is, Look for ways to teach about who God is and what he has commanded throughout all of life. Take those teachable moments. Take those object lessons. This isn't just a, a set time of the day, though that's good. But this is as you live and move, as, as, as you're putting your kids to bed, as you're thinking with them and driving to sports activities and you're talking about the day. Bring God into that. Make sure that you're bringing his truth to bear as you're conversing. Psalm 78, 7 repeats this in large part by saying, God commanded our fathers to teach their children. It goes on to say so that the, the next generation would know God and his commands and be able to teach them to the following generation. And then the key part here, so that 
they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. As parents, we, we wish that we could implant the hope in God in our children's hearts, that we could just sort of inject it there, and we can't. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what God's Spirit does. But what he's saying here is, is you impart wisdom and knowledge that the Spirit will use to cultivate such hope. You give them every reason to hope in God. You show them why he is a God to be hoped in, why he is a God to be believed and followed and obeyed. You, you teach them these things. Ephesians chapter 6, one last passage, and this is in the, the context, if you know the book of Ephesians. Here's the, the truths of salvation, what it means to, to be made alive in Christ and now walk worthy, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. The Greek word is ektrepho. It's the idea of nourish, mature, simplest meaning feed, provide for. It's, it's, it's stuff that on a, on a very pragmatic level, we do every day. We, we as parents provide food and, and shelter and care and, and you know, the sustenance that, that our, our, our children need. If you've, if you've ever had teenage boys, you, you realize you, you are doing that constantly, it feels like, that feeding part. You know, there's just a constant flow of, of nourishment that has to go on in that household. Well, we do these things daily, but that's... The, the, the point is the same now when he's talking about these spiritual truths. Present, active, imperative verb to bring them up. And what he's saying is it is the Christian parent's responsibility to not just provide, feed, put a roof over their heads, but it is to teach them, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, his, his teaching, his instruction. It's just like Deuteronomy 6. It takes place throughout all of life. Where, wherever we are, whenever it is, we should seek to make those into opportunities for teaching. One commentator puts it this way. Ultimately, the concern of parents is not simply that their sons and daughters will be obedient to their authority, but that through this godly training and admission, their children will come to know and obey the Lord himself. We're seeking to point them to him and to his authority. That's the mandate. Teach, model, direct, correct, train, show truth and righteousness so that we give our, our children every opportunity to know who God is and what he's done and what he requires of them. I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying this. I don't think I've ever met a parent who said that parenting is, is just easy. Easiest thing I've ever done, right? Uh, it's not. Being a child and relating to a parent is not easy. Being in marriage is not easy. Being close to other people in close relationships is not easy because we're sinners. We still live in a fallen world, and we still have fleshly desires that seek to exalt self even at the expense of, of you. I, I still struggle with wanting my way, and, and, and so we're sinners, and that infects our, our parenting, and it makes it difficult. It makes us impatient and frustrated and angry and lazy and, and all the things that, that I can fill in there that, that I, I can look at myself in the mirror and say, yep, been there, done that as, as a parent. 
But there's also a very real and, and powerful spiritual war. It's not just our flesh, but we're battling against spiritual forces of evil. That, that very first command, the one I alluded to before in Genesis 2, do, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan takes that very first command and he twists it and, and turns it into now a temptation for evil to bring about the fall of man. And ever since then, the battle between God's truth and Satan's lies has been real and consistent and ongoing and empowered by these spiritual forces of evil. That, that means, parents, you're, you're training, you're discipling, you're correcting is literal spiritual warfare. Because there is an enemy who wants to lure your children far, far away from the saving grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That enemy wants you to become impatient and angry with your children. That enemy wants you to correct harshly or, or not at all. Wants you to teach wrongly or not at all. Wants to distract you from the work that you have been called to do. And, and, and as a matter of fact, I mean, we... We see this exemplified in a culture now that even now begins to say to Christian families, who are you to impose your, your values on your children? You shouldn't do that. It should be sort of ambiguous and valueless and let them find their own. We, we hear that message spoken from our culture that you should not teach and correct in the very manner in which God has commanded us and called us to, that we would speak these truths into the lives of our children and bring correction to bear as well. If your goal is as it should be to convey a God-centered, gospel-saturated, biblical worldview that is as balanced as, as flawed human beings can make it in terms of truth and grace, then you will face obstacles and challenges and temptations, and, and it will be difficult. None of us is made to do this alone. We need help. We need prayer. We need encouragement. We need wisdom. We need God's truth. We need the grace of God. We need the body of Christ. We need his spirit to, to help us do this. And having relied on those things, we also need to rest, too, in the good providence of God, realizing again that we are flawed sinners, that we will not parent perfectly, that, that there is a, a point at which we must be able to say, I can rest in this, having pursued the, what I believe was the best path and having asked forgiveness when it was brought to, to convict me, then, then I'm going to teach and live and model, and it'll be imperfect, but the great God who rescued you and me from darkness and saved us is powerful to save our children. We can rest in him. The mandate is there. It's what we're called to do. And second principle, freedom of form that parents have for educating their children. Bringing children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is, is a command. But there's a secondary expectation on parents where there clearly is freedom. Now, when we talk about freedom, we're talking about Christian freedom. Uh, Paul's treatise on this largely is found in Romans 14 and the beginning of Romans 15 where he talks about areas that 
that are not, there, there, there's not clear black and white, do it this way, and there's, there's some liberty in living out applications in the Christian life, and, and the thing that he's trying to teach there is to be gentle with one another and to hold things loosely and be careful about the things that you sort of jab at in one another and, and allow some freedom. And there's a, there's a secondary expectation on parents where there is freedom, and, and for lack of a better description, I'll call it functional wisdom, teaching our children to read and write and, and solve problems and, and think logically. To the end that we want our children to gain the knowledge of God and to interact well with him, then, then they also need to be trained about how to think, how to think clearly, how to think logically, how to, how to understand consistencies and inconsistencies and just, just how to reason through things, how to approach reading of scripture, how to look at the culture and and make observations. And that's where there's some freedom here. The manner of that education may take the form of a Christian school, a, a public school, a private school, a, a home school. There are, there are opportunities and challenges with each. Each we can, we can list out some pros and cons. Certainly in the, the, the private school, home school realm, there are people who are awed and pushed back by the, the cost, either the tuition or the curriculum or all that's involved in that or the time that's involved in, in that. And on the public school side, there's, there's the challenge of the, the influence and time where, where children are away from their parents and are under other influence, and that's a challenge. But, but here's the point as, as it relates to the direction that the, the elder team is pursuing in this. This is not a shift in how we understand Christian freedom or the application of it. There is no expectation, no, no new line going in, in, in the church covenant that says you, you should choose this route or that if you don't choose this route, you are, you're choosing wrongly. That is not it at all. Our Grace families have long taken a, a variety of paths in terms of educating their children, and we are not now ordaining and saying this, this is the preferred way or the best way or whatever you want to put in there. You as parents must weigh how you believe God is leading your family. Strive to reach the, the best conclusion that you can prayerfully in seeking wisdom. But I'll add this. There, there, there is freedom in deciding how best to guide your children's education. That doesn't make it a, a simple matter with nothing but good answers all the way around. There are things to be thought of here and, and pondered, and there are difficult issues all the way around. There's the reality of spiritual warfare. There's the temptation of sin for you and your children. There's the demands of time and energy, and there's a world system that, that literally hates and denies the lordship of the creator. And all of that means when you come to these questions, you ought to take them seriously and pray about them, and ask God for wisdom about them, and seek to run them through a, a biblical grid, and seek wisdom from others, and process these matters. We have freedom to apply that wisdom that God freely gives, in fact, urges us to ask for, and we need to seek it and apply it. Third principle, and this one, a little shorter, will get us, I think, to the why question of why do this. And this goes back to the biblical mandate for, for local churches. And, and, and I won't spend long here because some of this is redundant um, from things we've talked about already and just back in January. But since we're talking about Christian education that happens in and, and through a local church, just want to make sure we remind ourselves of, of what it is a local church is primarily responsible to do. Again, January, we talked about the covenant. We, we covered some of this already. Grace's mission statement tries to spell out 
what we believe Scripture mandates for us on this, and that is when we speak of disciples making disciples. We've, the, the, the local church has been called to be involved in making disciples, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, being used by God to bring people to faith in Christ, but then growing those believers, helping them to mature, helping them to become a part of a body in which the body is growing. It's all over the New Testament, but the passage, again, that I mentioned to you in January, I'll say it again, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And, and there really is the, the sort of charter statement of what we are called to do as we come together as a body, and that is to be building one another up in the knowledge of Christ and the likeness of Christ so that we are maturing together. We are strengthening as a body of believers. Think about that in a broader context. The people of God historically have primarily been given a, a chief responsibility over and above everything else, the people of God have been commanded to glorify God, to, to spread the glory of God, to spread his majesty and speak of it, to, to declare him, to show him, to teach him, to take what we've empower, been empowered to do so that we would show people the greatness of our God. The Psalms tell us that. Psalm 22, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him. Prophet Isaiah, sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. The creation exalts God, brings glory to God. The same command carries forth in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for what? The glory of God, right? So there's... There's our, there's our calling. In, in all of this, we are seeking to elevate the name of God. Not that he needs us to elevate who he is, but it is to exalt him, to proclaim him to people. Th those who do not believe in Jesus Christ are not glorifying God. They cannot by nature. They are hostile to God. They are opposed to him. They are caught up in a world system that is about self-pleasure, doing what I, I want to do, doing what I deem as an accomplishment for me, doing something for pride or for revenge or for whatever the, the motivation is, but it ultimately comes to, to something that satisfies me. There's a, a sharp antithesis between the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And, and that's where the church comes in because it's utterly crucial that people be, be taught and, and understand how it is that we bring glory to God, how we try to think thoughts after what God has said about us and how we relate to the culture, how, who we are, who, who God says we are, who he is, what he's called us to do. And so we, we disciple to, to bring about a worldview that is God-centered. We teach and we disciple and we talk about these things. We want people to see the greatness of Jesus Christ and his gospel. That's, that's what a local church is called to do. So, so when it comes to, to educating children, again, the primary mandate rests with parents to, to bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But the local church should really be the primary place for equipping parents to do that well. The local church should be as much as possible coming alongside 
to be a place that, that helps through teaching and discipleship and, 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 and mutual encouragement to help people do these things. It should be an equipping place that helps us think about a God-centered worldview that we can pass down to the next generation. There, there are tons of books and podcasts and resources. There is so much out there. And, and some are good and helpful and sound in doctrine, and, and some are not, and, and some are just awful. But I would suggest to you that either, wherever they are, they are supplemental. That as believers in Jesus Christ, you have an individual responsibility to be a student of the word and to be meditating on the word. But then as part of a local body of believers, you have a responsibility to be part of a local church that is making disciples and fostering growth in the body of Christ and helping to help the next generation to do that. Now, none of that requires that a local church run a Christian school or a homeschool co-op or whatever it may be. There's no chapter and verse with that mandate. The, the mandate is equip believers to grow in Christ and glorify God. The freedom comes in how you do that. There's no chapter and verse that says we should have a, a children's ministry or a youth ministry or a women's ministry or a men's ministry or a home group's ministry. Those are all applications we make based on what we see in, in, in Scripture about how the body interacts and, 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 and looking for practical ways to, to make that work and to carry that out. And so much the same way, there is freedom. There, there, there's Just be clear I know I said this back in January, but Acts 2.42 gives a very clear picture of what's required, that we come together for teaching and fellowship and prayer and worship together. All of that is, is part of what we do and what we are called to do and not forsake. But there's also freedom in how we do various ministries within the life of the body. And so if it is within the means of a local church to expand its ministry to children, and if God seems to be providing people and resources to help parents educate their children. And if, and if a local church's leadership believes God is calling that body to invest more deeply in that kind of ministry, then, then we should seek his help to do just that. And, and that's really what gets us to the why question then of why is the elder team now leading Grace Bible Church to embrace a particular philosophy of, of Christian education as a ministry? I'll say to you this, I think from the perspective of our elder team, this is really a matter of stewardship. God has blessed us with facilities, with classrooms in them that are paid for and that are largely unused throughout the course of the week. He has blessed us with godly people who are gifted in teaching, in particular in teaching children and, and it is a time in the life of our church and a time in the life of the world around us when there is as much interest in this kind of ministry as there has ever been. Education has, has not been quite on the forefront and forms and modes of education not being discussed quite the way it has been during this particular season. We believe that God has, has made us well-equipped to come alongside parents in this way. Uh, to be clear, this was not something on the radar team of on the radar of our elder team 10 months ago or or even in, in recent years. But we do now unanimously believe that God is opening an opportunity for a ministry that fits well within 
the mission of disciples making disciples. Something that will bless the body of believers here and something we believe that will ultimately have an impact for good on our surrounding community. I don't know yet what that last point looks like over the years to come, the, the impact for good in the surrounding community, but here's, here's what I can tell you. We have been blessed over the last few years to see God in his kindness help enlarge our vision for the community around us. We've got a long way to go, but, but God has been, in, in, in sweet and kind ways, bringing us along to, to partner and, and get involved in the work of outreach and to be more engaged in Lorton. While we've got more to go, the engagement that we've had, that we've done throughout that engagement, there have been children and youth that God has used in that engagement repeatedly and in wonderful ways, whether it be Harmony at Spring Hill or whether it be Lorton Community Action Center. Um, God has, has used children and youth from, from Grace Bible Church to help encourage those ministries and encourage those people. And there's every reason to expect that this new ministry in the life of our church with an emphasis on training children in virtue will provide more ways to serve people outside of the walls of this building to give us more opportunities to, to touch their lives and help them and love them as Christ. So here's what I, I hope you take away this morning. Training of children is something God commands, puts that responsibility on parents. If you are a believing parent, he is empowering you and giving you grace and wisdom to do that, but it's not easy. It's work, it's challenging. And yet we are called to find ways to teach our children throughout the course of life. There's freedom when it comes to helping your children grow in disciplines like reading and writing and math equations, and, and the list goes on and on. Grace Bible Church has long held that forms of education are matters of freedom, and we still do. That has not changed. And, and while there are clear mandates for local churches and, and their primary function of making and growing disciples, there's also some freedom in how we do that ministry we believe God has equipped us now to do something new. And so whether or not you're a parent, and if you are a parent, whether or not you have school-age children, here's my ask of you this morning, and that is to join us in praying for this, in asking for God to lead and guide and bless so that this ministry will bring great glory to him, that it will bless this body of believers, and that it will have an impact for good in our community. Let's pray. Father, thank you for establishing from the beginning of creation the family and your creation of Adam and Eve and your command to them to multiply and fill the earth. It became clear very quickly that within that mandate was one of instruction and teaching, one of speaking of this God who made the heavens and the earth, declaring his glory. Father, we, we believe that Scripture continues to implore us to, as believers in Jesus Christ, feel the, the burden of ensuring that the next generation knows of your truth. Lord, whether 
the, all here this morning, those parents, non, not parents, whatever it might be, whatever our, our season, Lord, we pray that you would burden us with that, that care and that concern that would want for us to, to, as a body of believers, continue to hand forth a legacy of who you are, of what you have done, of testifying of your greatness, of being able to pass down the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we, we thank you for the generations before us who carried on that, that same responsibility, some who faced persecution and hardship in order to follow after you, but who believed that, that you had set before them an, a kingdom, an object of desire in Christ and the cross that was far greater than anything earth could provide. So they, they pressed on and they handed down to us your truth and we have it in your word and we are thankful for that. Father, we pray that as a body of believers, we would be faithful to hold out the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that there is a Savior who gave his life as a ransom for sinners and that all who will turn to him and believe in him will find hope and forgiveness in Christ and his death and his resurrection. Father, thank you for those you have brought forth who are energized with a passion in particular to help the local church do well at ministering to, to children. Father, thank you for wisdom and gifting and, and skill to do these things. And Lord, we, we ask for your blessing on this. This is, this is just a, a constant reminder. This process has been a reminder that we are so utterly dependent on you that you must work, you must, you must bring students, you must bring people here, you must accomplish this work. And so we pray for your help and your blessing. And Father, we pray this morning for children, those in this room, those watching online, those who will walk through the doors this fall. Lord, it is our deepest desire that you would save them, that you would move in such a way in their hearts that you would cause them to see Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as the Lord and Savior in whom they can rest their lives and have hope and peace and forgiveness. Help us to communicate those truths with passion and with joy. Help us to communicate them well. Father, thank you that you ultimately, through your spirit, will do the marvelous work of transforming hearts. Thank you for giving us a, just another venue at which we can be on the front row of, of watching your good work in the lives of people. In all these things, we lift up to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.